All right, now I would like to um, bring up our speaker for the evening. I am I feel so fortunate to have uh, found this speaker, and he had been recommended by a lot of people in my circle. Uh, he operates the coffee shop meeting. Okay. And, oh, yeah. and he has traveled, he and his wife, all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. I would, I would like to introduce Andre W. And don't, don't forget to buy his tape. You're going to hear some good recovery now. Andre. She is over there, my wife. That's my wife sitting right over there. She likes to be secluded. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Andre, and I am a compulsive overeater, and I know it. I want to first of all thank uh, Laverna and the committee for uh, inviting me here. Um, I, I look at it as an honor and a privilege to stand before you this evening. I do not take it lightly. I look at any time I go and speak to compulsive overeaters as a life and death errand, like the big book teaches me. So I just want to thank the committee for allowing me to come and share my experience, strength, and hope with you. Okay, I'm a bit nervous, but um, would all who care to join me in the serenity prayer, God, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference I make. <laughs> okay. Um, the big book teaches me that I'm supposed to share in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. In essence, I'm to share my experience, strength, and hope with you to let you know that if this program will work for me, it will also work for you. Uh, I'm going to start off by qualifying. I've been in the program of Overeaters Anonymous for 13 years. June, I mean, December the 16th is my anniversary day. I maintain a 45-pound weight loss. And... Um, and, and for that, I'm grateful. It's God's grace and mercy. You know, I can sum my whole lead up with God's grace and mercy. Your grace and mercy has brought me through. I'm living each moment because of you. I want to thank you and love you, too, because your grace and mercy has brought me through. It's God's grace and mercy that I stand here today because, see, I'm a grazer. I'm from a family of 11 children, and I'm the middle child. And I learned at a very early age how to maneuver at the kitchen table. You know, I had a sister that had a timid stomach, and I would say things that would upset her stomach and get her food. And so um, I'm from a family, you know, that um, we believe in, you know, I'm from a family that believe in a clean plate club. Food did not spoil in our refrigerator, you know, uh, because my mother taught us that uh, there were starving people in the world. And so, therefore, um, we did not waste food. It was like a sin to waste food, so we didn't waste any. I was one that ate off the floor, ate out the garbage and all those type things, um, and I was a grazer, which meant that I ate all day long. I ate all day long. I did not have a defense. 
against the next compulsive bite. I can remember uh, coming up when we used to have um, the um, the gallon, the five-pound cans uh, of cookies and things of that nature, and stealing cookies. I used to steal food, and I spent a lot of time in the closet, and I wasn't lonely because that was my hideout, and I would go in there and eat. I can remember uh, a friend of mine who used to come up uh, to the house, and he would bring pork chops and steaks, and we would sit out in the garage, I mean, out in that car in the backyard, you know, the old car that you learn how to drive in. It wasn't running, you know, <laughs> but you learn how to drive in that car, and we would sit out there and eat it. So uh, he was a very good friend of mine. And I can remember, I can remember around the holidays, you know, it was nothing like um, coming into the house back in that day. When you came into the houses, uh, you felt and you smelled uh, the aroma of food because uh, our parents cooked, and they didn't have a smorgasbord. When they cooked, you ate what was cooked. If you didn't like it, it was put on the stove, and you can go back and get it if it was still there because, see, I was a thief, you know, and I was still it. You know, so um, that's just the way it was. Like I was saying, like around the holidays, you know, uh, my parents would get fruit and all of those good things. And they taste their best when they were forbidden. That's when they taste their best. When you can have them, you know, you take a bite or two off of them and lay them around. But when they were forbidden, that's when they taste their best. So one time I eased into my parents' room are going to steal me some out the closet, you know. And my parents came into the room. Now, that was back in the day where they had those old bed and the springs. Springs that if they fell on you, they will kill you. That's how heavy they were. You know, they, it was the real deal back then. I'm, I'm, I'm aging myself. You know, I'm 55 years old if you um thinking about it. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, but anyway um, uh, like I said, I was a grazer, and I would eat until I was about to burst. I couldn't sit down to get comfortable. I couldn't lay down to get comfortable. I was most miserable, and I discovered something. What I discovered is I began to regurgitate. And once I regurgitate, I could start that vicious cycle all over again. And that caused me a lot of problems. And that went on for years and years and years because I was powerless. I did not have a defense against that next compulsive bite. I like to um, parallel my story with a situation that happened with me many years ago when I was out at the amusement park, Cedar Point. I was out in the, um, at the beach, and uh, I was out there swimming. Ended up strangling on the water. I was drowning. And um, I kind of paralleled this disease with, the, with that drowning. The powerlessness that I felt at the time that I was drowning was the exact same powerlessness that I felt with this disease. I was dying and could not help myself. I was powerless. Of course, someone saved me, or I wouldn't be here talking. It's the same thing with this program of recovery here, that I was drowning in my disease, and I could not help myself. 
I did not have a defense against that next compulsive bite. I can remember exercising, you know, and I've always been physically fit, and I, I can remember exercising. I never, ever believed in a diet. I never believed in a diet because my philosophy was that you put the fork and knife down and push your weight from the table. Well, I have you know that that is not my philosophy today. You know, see, today I realize that it is a disease and not a disgrace. It is a disease and not a disgrace. See, I thought it was a disgrace because I can remember times uh, as I grow, grew up and being with the men of the church in different places, activities and things like this, um, and me sitting down to eat and the men would say, well, you know, Andre, he can really put it away. Net result, I did not disappoint him. I put it away. But the only catch to that is they didn't know how I felt about it. They didn't know I didn't have a defense against the next compulsive bite. They didn't know that. They didn't know the guilt, remorse, and shame a grown man can't control his appetite. They didn't know those things. That's why I say that I am a compulsive overeater, and I know it. See, because it's not important what somebody else knows. It is important that you know what you are, that you know what you're up against, that this disease, compulsive overeating, will kill you dead. This is a fatal disease that is taking more lives today than anything else. And we don't think that it's big enough to ask God to help us with it. And it's taking more lives than anything else, than drug and alcohol put together, than smoking, than gang banging, than drive-by shootings, because this is the only disease that has um, put a death wish on our children. This is the only disease that has said that the United States has made a prediction that this generation of children, the parents were them because of obesity, single-handedly. That prediction has never, ever been made in the history of the United States. And not just the United States. Other countries are suffering from the same thing. But um, what happened is that I ran into a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in many years. And she was telling me about her program, which was this program. And I was telling her about the program that I was in, because I'm also a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, so she told me about this program, and I came um, to this program. That was in June of 1996, and um, I called myself walking up on her to surprise her, but I got the biggest surprise in the room. Because see, I don't remember a whole lot about the meeting, but I remember a couple things. Um, they read this thing called Welcome Home, our invitation to you. And um, it was talking directly to me because at the end it said, Welcome home. Welcome to AAOA. 
And uh, after that, they uh, closed the meeting with our father and gathered around, you know, in a circle. And they held hands and they said that um, afterwards, they asked the question, are you a hugger or a shaker? And see, I'm a hugger from way back. And that's pretty much what I uh, remembered about that meeting. That was in June of 96. The reason why December is my anniversary date is because I had some prior engagements, um, commitments, and so I didn't come back until um, December, and I've been here ever since December 16th, 1996. And I wish somebody would have told me something uh, in 96 because the Region 5 convention was in Cleveland in 1996, you know, so I missed the convention that was in my hometown, but I made it to the next one. I've been coming ever since, you know, and that's why I love the Region uh, 5 convention is because that's kind of like where I got my start at in uh, 97, because, see, um, when I came here, uh, I sat quiet and didn't say a word for a year. I didn't uh, comment. I didn't do any of those things. I just studied the book and prepared myself. You know, I learned, you know, I read all the literature. I didn't want no literature to come out that I didn't know about. And all the literature that I studied, I studied it with the scrutiny of the big book. If it didn't measure up to the big book, it didn't stand. Anything that don't measure up to the big book right now today, because the program of recovery is outlined in the first 164 pages of the big book. The first 164 pages of the big book do not, do not refer to no other book. It don't refer to the OA 12 and 12. It don't refer to the AA 12 and 12. It don't refer to no other book. There's only one other book that it refers to, and that's the big, big book. You know. But, um... So, so, so that's what happened. That's how I got here, you know. And what, what do I do today? Uh, today I realized that uh, eating was not my problem. Food was not my problem. It was but a symptom. The big book teaches me that it was but a symptom. And a symptom is something like um, your credit card. You know, you have what you call the principal and the interest. So the symptom would be like the interest. So if you just pay the interest on your credit card, the principal will overwhelm you. And that is what this disease do to us. It overwhelms us. Why? Because we are paying attention to the, to the um, symptom, which is food and weight. Those are but symptoms. The big book says that abstinence is but a beginning. Abstinence is but a beginning. An important beginning, but it's a beginning. One of the things that we need to understand in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous is that if you think you're not a compulsive overeater, let me read something here from the big book. Because if you qualify here, you are one of us, and you cannot escape us. See, <laughs> see, the big book, in the doctor's opinion, says 
We believe and so suggest a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never, never, never occurs in an average temperate drinker. So if you have ever had one phenomenon of craving for more of the same, that means that you are one of us. So you don't have to go any further and try to analyze and debate and all of that. If you have had one episode of a phenomenon of craving for more of what you were eating, you are one of us. And and um, and we agnostics, it says it in another way. So if you've ever had a phenomenon of craving, we need to understand that. One time, just once, not, you know, twice, but just once. You're one of us, whether you admit it or not. And then we agnostics says, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between alcoholics and the non-alcoholics. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit. When you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. You can quit for a minute, but entirely, completely. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. Now, if you are a compulsive overeater, there is a solution. There is a solution. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only, only a spiritual experience will conquer. What we have is a spiritual problem. Any problem on planet Earth is a spiritual problem. And that's what the program of recovery is, a spiritual solution. See, Bill was an alcoholic, and he couldn't stop drinking. Why? Because, just like us, we have an allergy of the body. It's a two-fold disease. Obsession of the mind, which means that we obsess food. And when you obsess something, you're going to eventually give in to that obsession because an obsession is a, 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 a feeling that overrides all other feelings and emotions. And so if you don't address that obsession of the mind, you're going to trigger the allergy of the body. Now, see, the allergy of the body is epidemic if you don't pick up the food. But you can't not pick up the food because you have the obsession of the mind. 
And when you pick up the food, you can't not stop eating it because it triggers the allergy of the body, which is going to doom you to death, which clearly renders you powerless. See, it says here in, in, in the doctor's opinion that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, in other words, they admit it injures them, they know it injures them. It hurts them. They know that. They cannot, after a time, differentiate the truth from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontent. And unless they can experience that sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by having a few drinks, which they see others take with impunity. Impunity means that they see other people drinking it with no problem. They can eat these foods. You know how you'd be out at restaurants and watch these folks mess over food? <laughs> you know, they mess over food and you say, uh, you need, you know, you have some, cho I have some choice names for them. Because if you don't want to eat it, you can give it to me. I was one that couldn't turn away no food. I could not turn away no food. You know, so, so, so they see people eat it with impunity, with no consequences. Why? Because temperate eaters get all they want every time they sit down to eat. They get all they want. See, the thing is, is that when, when a temperate eater sits down and began to get that full feeling, they quit. They, they don't like that feeling. They stop. When a compulsive overeater sits down and began to get full, they're just getting started. <laughs> they're just getting started. And, 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 and then they continue. Now, they're restless, irritable, and discontent. Watch this. This is before they pick up the food. So stone sober, they're restless, irritable, and discontent. Abstinent. They're restless, irritable, and discontent. If you don't think abstinence is tough, Ask Alanons. <laughs> See, because Alanons, uh, I know some Alanons that have some minds that can operate over in Iraq. <laughs> Treacherous minds. And they're not drunk. See, see, so, 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 so they're restless, irritable, and discontent while they are abstinent. Now, what, 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 what's going to happen with them if you're just abstinent and you don't begin to implement these steps into your life? Because if I'm not mistaken, step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, now we try to carry this message 
to the compulsive overeaters who still suffer. What is this message? This message is spiritual awakening. What is spiritual awakening? Spiritual awakening is a being recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. A seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Not a hopeless state of mind and body, but it seems like it's hopeless because of the situation you're in right here where you can't differentiate the truth from the false. Where you are restless, irritable, and discontent. In that state of mind, it seems like it's hopeless. But unless, unless, unless you implement these Steps in your life, not two-stepping, but twelve-stepping. Unless you implement these steps in your life, you're going to continue to be restless, irritable, and discontent. But you're not going to stay restless, irritable, and discontent because this is what's going to happen. It says that they are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can, unless they can experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. See, the few drinks are going to give them the ease and comfort. It's not going to give them ease and comfort, but it seems like that. Then, after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stage of a spree, emerging remorseful, with a firm resolution not to drink again, this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of recovery. Unless you implement these steps in your life, you're going to continue that process. But you know one thing about the big book is that it'll give you the gloom and doom. But you know what? At the end of the day, it has some good news. It has some hope. Because watch this, the next sentence, the next paragraph. On the other hand, <laughs> on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once the psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who has so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly find himself easily, it didn't say struggling. Struggling is associated with disease. Easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Now, how is it easy now? They were just restless, irritable, and discontent. The same person was just restless, irritable, and discontent. Now this same person after having a psychic change, what is a psychic change? A psychic change is a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience. A spiritual experience is sudden and fast. A spiritual awakening is slowly. That's the way I got it, slowly. I ain't never got nothing quick. You know, 
So, so that's where the psychic changes. Now, once that takes place, now it has become easy. It has become easy. Why? Because now I'm not doing it. Now God is doing for me what I can't do for myself. So if I'm not doing it, I can relax and take it easy because God is doing it. But first of all, we got to realize that we have a problem. We got to realize that we have a fatal disease here. That's step one. Admit that I was powerless over food, and due to my powerlessness, my life was unmanageable. Step one is the only step that has to be worked absolutely perfect, perfectly. How do that happen? Well, the big book is what teaches us. See, see, that's what the first, uh, four, there's four chapters on powerlessness. Um, the doctor's opinion just talked about powerlessness. And Bill's story talked about powerlessness. Let's see where Bill take uh, the first step at. He said, no words can tell of the loneliness and the despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. See, I told you to overwhelm you. Overwhelm you. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. What is a master? A master is one with control of the, over the action of another. One with control over the actions of another. This disease was my master. This disease dictated to me what to do. This, this disease dictated to me which Dunkin' Donuts to go to. This disease dictated to me uh, my life. My life was surrounded around this disease. This disease was paramount in my life. This disease was my master, and I obeyed my master well. And to the point that I was restless, irritable, and discontent. See, our problem, our problem centers in our mind rather than in our bodies. Our problem is our thinking apparatus. Our thinking apparatus is our problem, not our bodies. See, because if we address the mind, then the body will follow because all action is born in thought. And when I began to practice these principles in all of my affairs, then I began to get better. How do that happen? Well, first of all, you need a recovered, a recovered sponsor. See, because you can't teach what you don't know, and you can't leave where you haven't gone. See, you need a recovered sponsor so that they can see an example, so that they can see what recovery looks like. See, because if they don't see what recovery looks like, 
They don't know. They don't. They don't know. So therefore, uh, they, they 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 think they're hopeless. Um, one of the things is that we have two programs here. We have what you call the fellowship. That's all of us in here. We're fellowshipping. That's the support group. It is very important. The support group was in place before the 12 steps of recovery were in place. So the support group was in place before the book was in place. As a matter of fact, the fellowship was named after the book. The society was named after the book. The book, Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous was named after the book, the fellowship was. So this is the function of the fellowship. The function of the fellowship is to have recovered people help people in their disease. And that the people that are in their disease can see the recovery in that person and get hope and motivate them to work the steps, to implement the steps into their lives, realizing that they're powerless. How do that happen? Well, I tell my story. I tell what happened to me. And then so that they can identify in, just like uh, Bill. When Bill went to see Dr. Bob, he told Dr. Bob his story. He told his story. He told how he drank and how hopeless he was. See, because, see, what happened was Bill was missing a piece. And Dr. Silkworth gave Bill a vital and important piece to the puzzle. See, Bill knew where uh, he was powerless, and he knew about the spiritual uh, aspect of the um, program because that was um, the Oxford group was spiritual. But he did not have the grave nature. Dr. Silkworth told Bill to uh, stop going around here preaching to folks because Bill had talked to a dozen people and they didn't get the program, but Bill remained sober. He said, stop preaching to them. He said, you help them identify in. How do you help them identify in? By telling them the grave nature of this disease, by telling them about the hopelessness of this disease. Telling them about this disease will kill you dead. It will kill you. Well, see, he didn't have that piece. And when he got that piece and took that piece to um, Dr. Bob, then Dr. Bob had tried the spiritual uh, part of the program for many years. He was in the Oxford group for two years and he, he got drunk. But when Bill... When Bill came and told Dr. Bob what Dr. Silkworth said, then he mustered a zeal to get the spiritual aspect of this program like he never had. And he recovered never to drink again until the day of his death in 1950. All the people I read about in here, that was Bill. And then what happened after Bill recovered? It's interesting that um, Founders Day is in June and not December, I mean November. 
not November, because Bill got sober in November. He had a spiritual awakening six months prior to talking to Dr. Bob. But Founders Day is June the 10th, which is when Dr. Bob came into the program, when he recovered, which tells me that recovery begins when one compulsive overeater talks to another compulsive overeater, and that's when it begins. Now watch this. After Dr. Bob and Bill, got, after he got Dr. Uh, Bob together, what did they do frantically? They frantically went to the hospital, town hospital, to get them another alcoholic. They called and said, do you have one for us? And they said, yeah, we got one here for you. He's a whopper. Yes. He's been here uh, eight times. You know. And they went and talked to him. And they helped him to identify in. And guess what happened? He recovered never to drink again. When you implement this program of recovery in your life, I don't read nowhere anyone recovered and relapsed. We relapse from abstinence. The reason why we relapse from abstinence is because we're going to be restless, irritable, and discontent. And we're going to be searching for that sense of ease and comfort that our disease brings to us. And that's why we relapse. That's why abstinence is not our goal. Recovery is our goal. Recovery, recovery, recovery. Recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. You can put the food down all day long. That is but a beginning. If you don't implement these steps in your life with a recovered sponsor and the fellowship supports you in that endeavor to recover, that's why it's important to go to meetings. It's important to go to meetings. But it's important that we get recovered because you can't transmit something that you haven't got. A vision for you says you can't transmit something that you haven't got. So we need a recovered sponsor to guide us through the steps. The sole purpose of a OA group or meeting is for the teaching and the practice of the 12 steps of recovery. Practice is daily. We are not cured. There is no cure for this disease. But what we have is a daily reprieve, contention on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. This is a spiritual problem, so we have a spiritual solution. Spiritual problem. So we have a spiritual solution. I, I wanted to read just one thing uh, just to give you an idea of what we are faced with here. And I like to read it because it's, it, it's 
does a great job. I am your disease. I hate meetings. I hate God. I hate anyone who has a program. To all who come in contact with me, I wish you death and I wish you suffering. Allow me to introduce myself. I am the disease of addiction, cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's me. I have killed millions, and I am pleased. I love to catch you with the element of surprise. I love pretending I am your friend and lover. I have given you comfort, or I, have I not? Wasn't I there when you were lonely, when you wanted to die? Didn't you call me? I was there. I love to make you hurt. I love to make you cry. Better yet, I love when I make you so numb you can either hurt or cry. You can't feel anything at all. This is true glory. I will give you instant gratification, and all I ask of you is long-term suffering. I've been there for you always. When things were going right in your life, you invited me. You said you didn't deserve these good things. I was the only one who would agree with you. Together we were able to destroy all things good in your life. People don't take me serious. They take strokes serious, heart attacks serious. Even diabetes they take seriously. Fools that they are. They don't know that without my help, these things would not be made possible. I am such a hated disease, and yet I do not come uninvited. You choose to have me. So many have chosen me over reality and peace. More than you hate me, I hate all of you who have a 12-step program. Your program, your meetings, your God all weakens me, and I can't function in the manner I am accustomed to. Now I must live here uh, quietly. You don't see me, but I am growing bigger than ever. When you only exist, I may live. When you live, I only exist, but I am here, and until we meet again, if we meet again, I wish you death and suffering. Thank you. to thank Andre for traveling all the way from Cleveland. Wasn't that an eye-opener? That's right. Okay, thank you very much. And don't forget to buy the tape or the CD or first telescope. Okay, I have a few announcements. Um, we have a great security committee, and they're here to assist you, especially if you have special needs. Also, everyone attending the workshops and main events must be registered at the convention. The only way we know that you're registered is if you wear your badge. So please wear your badge, and it will be checked before you go into the different meetings and sessions that we're having here. Members of the security committee will be checking, so you know, don't get offended. They just want to make sure you're registered. And if you're not registered, you go out to our registration chair, Midge, and she will take care of you. Thank you. So please wear your badges at all of the events. Okay. okay, I think on the inside cover of your program there's an evaluation. We would like for you to please complete that before you leave the convention. And if you cannot find a receptacle to leave it in, 
uh, be sure you give it to a member of the committee. And the committees have um, the orange tabs on the bottom of their ID tags. If you signed up to do service, please arrive 15 minutes prior to that service commitment, and we thank you for that. We thank you for that service. If you're going to go to the dinner dance, uh, we suggest that you please bring a sweater or jacket. Sometimes the room might be a bit chilly, and we don't want you to get too cold. The hotel has really good air conditioning system here. It's not possible to cool off a room and heat the room up, and we can't please everybody with the temperature. So be prepared. Uh, we have members selling our 50-50 tickets. The winner will receive 50% of all of the proceeds collected, and the region will receive the other 50%. The drawings will be the closing on Sunday. Be sure to put your name and telephone number on the ticket. You need not be present to win, but if we can't contact you, then we would probably have to draw another ticket. Uh, we have members who are selling um, raffle tickets for the quilt and the afghan. Uh, they are in the back. The quilt and the afghan is in the back if you want to take a look at it. And that drawing will also close on Sunday evening. How much are those tickets? <laughs> Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So now I'd like to introduce Eileen G for our entertainment. Thank you, Laverna. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to my first entertainment chair. Oh, no, wait. It's not about me. Right? Right, Erin? There's my sponsor out there. Okay. She's going to, I'm sure I'm going to have to do a 10-step around this today, I'm sure. Anyway, I keep losing my paper that has all my notes. So, you're stuck with me on the fly. And so luckily, there's been a lot of wonderful people to help out, and one of which is Susan, our stage manager over here. She's going to do the CDs. And you have to be patient because sometimes we're going to be pausing and hopefully I won't have to come up and tell any jokes. So you don't want that. Um, but we have a really great lineup. Uh, we're going to start off with a real get up and go song. We want you to get up out of your, up, stand up out of your seat and, you know, kind of move your hands and really get the energy going. Uh, we also have uh, Claudia who's going to come in and do a flute solo and then she's, we're going to have a sing along to a few of my favorite things. Now on your chair, there is a flyer that has all the words and sing-alongs that we would like you to uh, thank you, Lynn, uh, to do. And uh, there's, there's the different songs that we have. So keep that close. If you don't have one, uh, raise your hand, and we'll have somebody come by and give you an extra one or share. Okay, then we are going to have Barbara come up, and she has written a recovery poem, and she's going to lead us in a, a little sing-along as well. From there, we have Brian, and he's going to do an opera. There's going to be three songs, and uh, that's going to be a, a real treat as well. So, and from there, we're going to close with Love Can Build a Bridge uh, with the, in the support of the theme of our recovery here, Bridge to Recovery. So without further ado, I am going to get the first song going. Now, we want you to really get up and move and get some energy.
few logistics there, and I'll be right, right with you. Okay, everybody have your cheat sheet? All right, excellent. Um, right. These are, uh, okay. I have a quick question. How many of you have seen The Sound of Music? They say it's the most seen film on television, and so the song we're going to sing now is from The Sound of Music, so there's no excuse. Most of you know it. And uh, luckily, the three of us are going to sing with you, and I have a deep lower voice. She has a higher voice, so there's something for everyone. And the flute will be high, but we're going to try to cover all voices. We want you to sing with us. It's Please. about interaction. and Trust me, you'll want to sing really loud. <laughs> special treat. Barbara is going to come up and do her poem that she wrote specially for us. And it's called Tides of Recovery. And now did you decide you were going to say Yeah, actually I like, like to be inconvenient. I would like everyone in the back come a little closer. Right, just to maybe, not to mock it up, but also to just create a little bit of a group. So that would help me. All right. Yeah, please move. Just yeah, come move a little, little closer where we can see ya. And I created this poem. Um, it was just an overnight thing in a way because I was just thinking about the bridge to recovery, the type of recovery, and when I heard Andre's speaking, I just thought, oh, nice. It's all about drowning and somehow getting your head over the water again. And somehow this uh, text wants to reflect that. So um, the type of recovery... 
I felt stranded and admit I was desperately licked, hopeless, fearful, baked in shame, until program's hope came like a flame. Faith arrives and keeps me here, moving on to insane ideas. Now my inventory roars, wells up insights to the shores, leads me freely to admit all my wrongs without a fit. Often self-will, no, sorry, leads me, <laughs> you see, yet the willingness to change feels at times a little strange. Often self-will wants to blow HP's guidance, though by now I'm humbled how my day runs much saner with HP's say. Discipline and love are plans, mending damage through amends, growing branches of support, perseverance is the force. Twelve-step principles embrace a spiritually loaded space. Last, not least, on top of all, service sings with strength and joy. What could not be true at first before surrender quenched my thirst. Let's be happy, joyous, free, becoming who we are meant to be. Thank you. <laughs> and now I choose something that everyone can sing because it also somehow embodies the principles of OA. And it's like I've got peace like a river. And I want you, when we hear the peace, just do the victory signs. We all know it. Both hands up. And then when we uh, do, you know, A in OA, you just clap. And that's to activate some noise. So, I... Uh, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river in OA, in OA. I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river, I've got peace like a river in OA. I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain in no way. Woo! I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got joy like a fountain in no way. I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean in no way. I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean, I've got love like an ocean in OA. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. And now we have Brian. And Brian, uh, just actually we have to say congratulations again. He just had a little baby, Matthew, a couple of weeks. It was about what week? One week. One week. And he actually came from Half Moon Bay, rehearsed at 3, 3.30, and went back to Half Moon Bay to take care of his child. So he's already a dedicated dad, and we just want to welcome to him to the stage to do uh, three songs. And he's going to introduce them because they're in Italian or something, and I don't know what it means. I'll just use this one. It's much easier. Um, I'm just going to sing three songs in Italian in the true sense of togetherness. If you know this first tune, please feel free to sing along. I'm sure the first four or five notes, you'll, it'll be very recognizable. And you can join me because I'm half awake right now <laughs> for some reason. Okay. 
One final piece for you, and I, I believe this is among the most beautiful one and a half minutes in all of music. Um, about that, and um, it, it's something that it actually, when I was thinking about the words and thinking about what this um, conference was about, this piece is about looking out to somebody and trying to see if they they really love you, and finding, you know, looking in the mirror and saying, I really can love this person. I'm good enough to love. So I think all of us can kind of connect on that a little bit. So this is Amor Tivieza. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm speechless. No, that doesn't happen too often. Um, okay, 
so, Lynn, my friend Lynn. Uh, actually, I have to say, Lynn was the inspiration for uh, the beginning song and this ending song, which is Love Can Build a Bridge. And I think it's very fitting for our theme. Uh, and also, I'd also like to thank Sherry for suggesting Brian. That was phenomenal. Um, okay, so everybody's got your sheets again. All right, excellent. This is the second time I've sung after Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely, it takes the pressure off because I have no way that I could do that. <laughs> and we're going to actually have the rest of the entertainment committee uh, come up here mm -hmm. and uh, help sing, Brian. So you'll, you'll get to hear Brian again, too. <laughs> Everybody got your... Okay, I think we're good. And please join in on the chorus. I gladly walk across the desert with no shoes upon my feet to share with you the last size of bread I had to eat. I would swim out to save you in your sea of broken dreams. When all your hopes are sinking, let me show you what love means. Love can build a bridge between your heart and mine. Love Join the traveler. I would give my heart's desire. 
everybody for participating and all of the wonderful people on this stage and committee for all the hard work. And here's Mike. All right, let's let's thank Eileen one more time and her crew. Okay.